I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. There's a little boy who sat down at the kitchen table with crayons and a big sheet of blank paper, and he started to draw. His father noticed him working hard away at the table, stopped and said, What are you doing, son? I said, I'm drawing a picture of God. The father's like, Son, you can't draw a picture of God. Nobody knows what God looks like. The little boy thought for a moment and said, Well, they will when I get through. What does God look like? That was one of the kids' questions here today, right? What does God look like? What is it possible that he's like? And uh, and a question for us in our world and our day is, what does it mean to, to get to know him or to reach out to him or to be connected to him? Who is God and what is this all about? Uh, is a question that... that Many people are thinking about and looking at. Uh, several shows on television are looking at these things, dealing with what's, what's part of this spiritual world. There's a couple of shows in particular that, that I've looked at uh, off and on. Uh, one's called God Friended Me. And, and this guy is, who is an atheist who's got a blog trying to convince people that it's unreasonable to believe in God, he gets a friend request from God, which is a little disorienting to him. He tries to ignore it several times, and, and it keeps coming back to him, and he's saying, well, who is doing this? Someone is playing a trick on me. But then he accepts the friendship from God, and he gets a friend request or a, a suggestion from God, and turns out that each of these suggestions is someone that's in trouble and needs some help. And he begins doing these works. And, and uh who is God as he wonders this? And he still thinks that someone is messing with him or, or putting him up to this. Another one is the good place, and it's investigating heaven. What is, what is the good place? And the series starts off with this girl who gets into the good place, but she doesn't belong there. <laughs> that uh, records have been somehow mixed up because in heaven, apparently, somehow their computer department isn't as accurate as it should be, and so she skates in, but it turns out that the good place is actually the bad place. It's hell, and, and, and the people that she's dealing with are actually demons who are just messing with them, trying to torture them by thinking they're in a good place, and then give them everything that's not exactly what they want. And as the show has continued on, uh, they have come to this conclusion that something is wrong with the accounting system because nobody's getting into the good place. Nobody makes it there. For 500 years, no one's made it to the good place. And the, the purpose, or, uh, the, the way you get there is points of being better than you are bad. And you get so many points for different things you do and you get docked for other things that you do. And they're investigating, they're asking, okay, what is life like? And part of it, I think they're, they're saying, you know, uh, this whole thing about God and, and the church and Christianity, the, the, you know, they, they make it so hard. Why is it so hard? What is it really like? And, and like many people, uh, we choose to, to make God in, in our own image, in a way that we want him to be. I, I don't want a God who's like that. And some people will say of the Old Testament, I, I, don't want, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament because he's just love. But what is God about? I mean, if God is who he really is, then 
We can't make him into something we want him to be. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's as, as ridiculous as me trying to make one of you to be exactly who I want you to be. I can suggest things that maybe that would be better for you in behavior, but you are who you are. God is, if God is, exists, then he is who he is, and, and he reveals himself to us. We don't say, this is how you ought to be. And one of the things he's done to reveal it to us this has been creation, the beauty of this world he's placed us in, the, the intricacy of, 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 of our bodies and our, our parts. But he's also shown us who he is in his word. And, and as we look at his word and as we consider the God of the Old Testament, uh, it was a God who, who revealed himself to people with a process. Um, the process was to go through eventually a tabernacle and then eventually a temple that there was a way to get to God, it was just kind of complicated. As we look through the book of Hebrews, we're going to see a bit of that in our text today. We're in chapter 9, and, and investigating and looking at what, is, what, is it, what was all that stuff about in the Old Testament, and how does Jesus build upon that and demonstrate what his new covenant, his new way of coming to God is all about. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And it starts this way, building on the, the things from last week and then the high priest and, and the new covenant. And so he says in verse 1, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had been budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. And, and as he goes on, we're, we're getting this picture inside the most holy place, which uh, if you grew up in a Jewish tradition in those days, you would have been like, what is back there? We're not allowed to go there. And, and he's giving us this picture of the, some of the things that are there. The, the Ark of the Covenant that God had commanded to put the, 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 the important articles in. The Ten Commandments that were on the two tablets that, Jesus, or that God gave to Moses on the mountain and he brought down to the people. These are there in Aaron's bud, which was a staff that budded. He had a staff that had actually started growing flowers on it, which is an amazing miracle of uh, this, this happening. And so they had that manna as the people were, were traveling through the desert, having been released and rescued from Egypt. They were walking through the desert. How were they going to eat out in the desert? Every morning, manna was on the ground. This, this simple honey-like cracker. They would come, and, and they saved some of it in a jar, and that was there. And we're seeing some of the elements here, uh, the building of the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the things that were over it. And these are all located in the most holy place. And we're like, oh, this is pretty interesting stuff. And then at, just as soon as we're interested in that, he said, yeah, but we can't discuss these things in detail now. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he doesn't want us to get wrapped up in this, but to see what this symbolizes. And so in verse 6, he continues, When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room, which was the holy place, to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room 
and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. The, this seems a little complicated, doesn't it? Uh, there's there's, there's a, a room and then an, an inner room and, and priests can go into that outer room and they do that regularly and they burn incense and do the things that they do on a regular daily basis. But then there was that one room uh, that they, were, they only went in once a year, the most holy place. And, and that was a place, that was the Day of Atonement where the priest would would bring blood to sacrifice on, the, on account of the sins of the people. But before he could t- do that on behalf of others, he had to sacrifice and bring blood on his own account because he was a man. He was a sinful person. And so he needed to take care of himself. And, and a writer of Hebrews says, all these things, this is a picture of what it was like to try and get to heaven. Now, the, the great thing is, there's a way to get to God. Uh, God is not in this lofty place that, that you have to go up to him like the people thought when they built the Tower of Babel. God, God is come and he's revealing himself to us, but there are some limitations here. And the limitations come, well, because of the sinfulness of mankind. That sinfulness is really a big deal to God. God revealed what's important to him. He, he gave the ten words, the commandments, talking about the elements of what's to be in your mind and how you're supposed to live. This is how I want you to live. When God addresses the people, he says, when I rescued you from the land of savory, this is, this is, I brought you out, I rescued you, but this is how I want you to live, to have no other gods before me. Make no idols of them. Set time in your week. Have a Sabbath day for me. Do not take my name in vain, which, which is more than, than, than using a particular phrase of cussing, but has to do with how we live our lives calling ourselves followers of God. If we say we are followers of God and yet live in ways that, that, that have nothing to do with that, that's taking the Lord's name in vain on some great level. These are the ways that God says, I want you to interact with me. And along with it, there's stuff to deal with between one another. Honor your father and mother. There's a promise there for the, the, the days to come and the, the land you're going to come to. But, but I don't want you to commit murder, and I don't want you to commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear fault witness or lie to others when you are asked about stuff. And don't covet. Don't be desiring and wanting to get other stuff. This is, this, is, this is the parameters of what God says. This is what life is about because it's not just about you, but it's about me and about us together. And so when we sin... Uh, we are sinning against how God has designed the world to be. 
the best way. And it's a big deal. So much so that these sacrifices happen because, as Paul writes in Romans, the wages of sin is death. That's, that's, the, that's the penalty for sin is, is death and separation from God. And, and it's a big deal. But then God provides a way to get right with him. And the sacrificial system was that. Then, and you would take a, an animal and you would kill it. And the message was, I deserve this. And this is, this is, this is the best animal that I have or I can afford. This is the unblemished and, and it's perfect, as perfect as I can give to God. And, and I deserve what happens to this animal. And because of my sin... And our writer says, all that, and, and how they did that on a regular basis, all that, this is a picture of what God was really going to do. That's the first covenant. The second covenant, when Jesus comes in, that's going to adapt all of this. It's going to build upon this. It's not, we're not throwing that away in the concepts that are part of it, but when Jesus comes we're going to take it to the next level. And so he writes in verse 11, when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Well, let me just stop there. This idea of the blood and goats, uh, again, this comes from, from, from the Torah. And, and, and when they would come to sacrifice, they would take two goats. And, and one of the goats, they would, they would lay their hands and put the sins of the people on this goat. And then they would send the goat out of the village. It was the scapegoat to take the blame for all the sins of the people. And then the other goat they would kill and, and sacrifice at the altar. And so th- these are things that he's referring to, uh, how they used to do it. But when Jesus comes as a high priest, and this is things he's talked about in chapters previous to this, he brings an offering as well. And what is his offering? Well, as it just said, he entered the whole place, the holy place, most holy place, once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And this word eternal redemption, uh, again, speaking of that it's once and for all, which he's going to get to. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. 
When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear, to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Uh, As we look into this passage, again, I think we're reminded of the admonition he had at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of 6, where he said, you know what? We've got so much to say about this stuff, but you are so slow to learn and you are dull in your thinking. And, and it says you, you, you need to, to, to grow up. You need to mature in your faith that you're, you're, you're drinking spiritual milk when you need to be eating meat. And, 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 and this is some of the stuff that he wants to get to. All this stuff that God had been doing in the Old Testament were, were pictures of what he was going to do and accomplish once and for all for the, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That this blood of the sacrifice that, that comes. Do you remember when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper? And we, we, we talk about this monthly. We'll talk about it again next week when we have communion. That when Jesus takes the cup, he says, this is the new, this is the blood of my covenant. This is the blood of my new covenant. He's hearkening back to these concepts that the sacrifice that he is about to go through and endure, and, and he brings the cup to them to take th- his blood into their life. And what does the blood symbolize? Well, the shedding of blood, it means death. And throughout this chapter, we see blood being spilled all over the place and, and referred to again and again, without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness. Why is that? Because sin is heinous. It separates us from God. It is a big deal to God, so much so that, again, the penalty is death. And as we ask, how do we get to God? Why is this so complicated? It's so complicated. All the, the pictures of the tabernacle with the holy place and the most holy place and all the elements that are there because this is such a big deal. What we do to God when we walk away from his standard for living and how he set up this world for us, it's a big deal. But he does provide a way back, doesn't he? 
He opens the way. He gives us these pictures. One, to remind us, this is a big deal. But two, there are ways to come back to me. And then when Jesus comes, it changes everything. In chapter 8, he refers to the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, which he'll come back to again and, and refer to in chapter 10. Uh, the new covenant that, that God reveals through Jeremiah. Uh, what's, what are the elements of this? Uh, part of it goes on to say that no longer will a man teach another saying, know the Lord your God, because he will know him in his heart and his soul. That the dimensions of what Jesus is going to do in contrast to what the sacrifices used to do is all-encompassing. Those sacrifices, he calls them ceremonial clean, cleansings. They get you right for a time. They take care of, of your being unclean and, and the sins that you've done, but they do nothing to clean your conscience, your heart, because you know you've, you, you're, you're a sinful person. You've, you've walked away from God. You want nothing to do with them on, on, at some points. Your heart is not okay. But when Jesus comes with this new covenant, the Spirit of God comes to us and we are cleansed once and for all. Once and for all. That phrase comes up again and again. Once for all. It doesn't happen again and again and again like they, the, the priest would have to go year after year after year on the Day of Atonement. No more Day of Atonement needed because Jesus did it once for all. Yeah, sin is a big deal. And this idea of blood is, well, uh, for some people, this is barbaric, right? Who, who thinks, who, who proclaims and lifts up a Savior who's dead? But we do. <laughs> but he died, and he died as a criminal. But they put him in that tomb, and he couldn't be held there because he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. All the things we saw on earth here, the tabernacle and then the temple, even however we design our churches, these are just man-made things that are supposed to give us a picture of what it's like. But in heaven, it's really happening. Jesus is there before God himself. Isaiah was privileged with this vision in, in Isaiah chapter 6. John was given this vision as well in, in Revelation chapter 4. It's an awesome place. And Jesus is there representing us. And the call at the end of this chapter is a reminder of our setting. We face judgment. Every man will face death and judgment. We will stand before God when all our actions and like the good place, we would come up wanting. Our points would not add up to enough. But then the blood of Jesus, which is applied to us, says it's forgiven. And so Jesus came first and he was sacrificed to bear our sin, to take it upon us so that we can stand heads high, forgiven and clean. And he will come again 
to bring salvation. That's what this message is about. And it's complicated and it's, and it's detail-oriented because God is, well, God is God and we can't make Him how we want Him to be, but He is who He is and, and sin is heinous to Him. But He loves you so much that He went through all of these things to give you a way back. You can come back to God. God is accessible to us even to us, through Jesus. And so for each of us, the question is, what have you done with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you take his offer of life and follow him? Where are you at today? What has God been doing in your heart and life? Have you come to him and, and, and you've wandered away a little bit? Have you been thinking about it for some time in your life, but held him at bay? What are you doing with Jesus? Because the call for you is to receive in this, what seems, again, to be barbaric, his death, his blood, cover you and your sins, restoring you to God. And who in your life needs this message as well? Who do we need to have the courage to be able to say, God exists, and I want you to know him, but sin exists too, and sin separates us from God. You need, you need to know Jesus. That's the call of the writer of Hebrews all the way through. Uh, to a people who are going through difficult times and sufferings and hardships. And for us who go through those, maybe in part, maybe not as intensely as they are, but certainly in, in, in times and even days like there where we're wondering, we're asking, we're looking for hope. Jesus is there the right hand of God on our behalf and we can go to him. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning uh, we, uh, we bring ourselves before you. And Lord, you know where, where our hearts are at. And Spirit of God, I'd ask that you would be opening our, our, our eyes and our, our ears to be able to see, see and hear what you're doing. That this work you did through the sacrifice and death of Jesus was done on our behalf. And that the call you make into our lives is to know you, to come to you, to live our lives with you, Thank you for rescuing us. And, and guide us in these days to walk faithfully with you. To be able to bring all of our issues, our circumstances, our heartaches, our rebellions 
to you and to receive this gift of life through Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.